Welcome to the Pain Points of Wealth, the podcast that addresses the pain points that come with creating, growing, and sustaining your wealth, giving you a multi-generational perspective from three pains in a pod, Bob Payne, the boomer, Chris Payne, the millennial, and Ryan Payne, the generation somewhere in between. All right, it's the news in plain sight. You've seen the headlines. And we give you the real story. You know, guys, I hate to do this again, but it's episode five and we're still talking about tech and it's just too hard to ignore. And you know, we've seen a little bit of a correction since we recorded this. So the market was going up and up and up. And finally, we got some sort of sell off here, specifically in technology and the overall market as well. But I think the big question on investors' minds right now is are we finally done with this magnificent stock rally in tech? Is it over? Or is this just a correction in what we would call an ongoing bull market? You know, Bob, you're pretty good at reading the tea leaves. You know, what do you think? Are we done? Is this it? Look, right. You know what I'm really good at? I'm really good at picking winners of football games the day after the games are played. <laughs> you know, I heard you had a real skill for that, Bob. That's actually, you're known for it, I heard. I think it's incredible. You know, when you think about the amount of money that's bet on football games, you know, here we are, the NFL starting up again. And it's so easy in hindsight. So hindsight, everything is 2020. And when it comes to these five magnificent fang stocks that were blowing off to the top a couple of weeks ago, there are a lot of signs, you know, that there is a little bit too much enthusiasm. For example, you know, we have people who speculate in the stock market and they buy options. Now, there are more call options being bought than put options, Chris. So what does that mean? Dad, it sounds to me like people made a huge bet in tech stocks. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. I mean, if you look at it, you know, calls are basically the right to buy the underlying stocks. And they had 15 times the number of calls versus puts, which would be bets against the market. That's like unheard of. And meanwhile, you had SoftBank, this big conglomerate holding company in Japan. They took out options tied to $50 billion worth of individual tech stocks. So, Bob, it just seems like it was a big casino in the markets like two weeks ago. <laughs> it sounds like, oh, let's go to Atlantic City and have some fun. Yeah, it sounds like to me that traders are no different than all of us, right? We're all average, normal human beings, and we tend to predict the future based on our most recent experience. And the most recent experience was Apple, Facebook, Amazon, Tesla went up every single day, of course, until it didn't. Yeah. And boy, when it doesn't go up and it goes the other direction, I always say the stock market's kind of like a bad lover, right? It loves you and loves you and loves you until it doesn't. <laughs> you know, Tech stocks were loved until they weren't. Now, Chris, I don't know. Maybe this is the end. The tech bubble has finally burst, but I am suspect that we're finally there, that this is going to be the end. Tech's over and we should just put all of our money into cash right now. I don't know. I'm just suspect that that's not the case. Right. I don't know if that's such a good idea. I think it's still a good idea to own this stuff, but there are bargains to be had out in the market. You know, I think right now, things like value, things that are really cheap that pay a great dividend, international, I could go on and on. Yeah. But, you know, guys, I mean, it was breathless, right? I mean, we got to see it. Everybody got to see history. We saw Tesla go up 76% in 14 trading days, it was up 953% in a year, even though their sales were only up 3%. So you can stay home and study your finance books all day long. Sometimes it's the madness of the crowd that creates the wealth in your portfolio. Yeah, no, exactly. Short term. Yeah, it's but always short term. term. Yeah, it's always short term. But the problem is 
when the music stops, no one prepares ahead of time. In fact, think about this, guys. The moment the stock market sold off is when everybody was the most bullish. You know, when everyone had the biggest bets that things were going to go up. And that's the problem. You never know when that tipping point's going to be because everyone's going to be deluded by the fact that these stocks are the greatest things since sliced bread. See, we're very lucky because we sit here with 2,000 households that we manage money for. And Chris, you handle a lot of people with 401k accounts. And you had quite a few calls in the last couple of weeks asking you why they owned anything else other than our large company growth portfolio, which is really a tech portfolio. And when the average investor, when ordinary human beings like all of us think that, oh my goodness, nothing else is worth owning except what's at its all-time record high and gets higher every day, that's always a short-term sell signal. Yeah, that's true, Dad. And you know, people also now that the market has been pulling back, the tech market's been pulling back, don't realize that not their entire portfolio is going down, just some of the things in their portfolio. Whereas like, on Friday, when the market was down like 6%, their portfolio was only down like 1% because they own a lot of other things other than just large cap companies. Now, that's a really good point. And the one thing we've talked a lot about and you start to notice is as everyone jumps into tech, you start to see other investors moving other ways, right? If you look at insiders of corporations for the NASDAQ 100, you saw about $10.4 billion worth of selling last month while the market was going up and up and up or last quarter. And you start looking at, like we talked about this before, but Warren Buffett, if you look at Berkshire Hathaway, they just bought these trading companies out of Japan that trade for, Chris, to your point, they've got great dividends. They're trading at very cheap valuations. And also Blackstone Group, you know, another big private equity fund is looking to buy Kansas City Southern. That's an old school railroad stock. So when you start looking at where I would call the quote unquote smart money is going, the smart money is positioning a lot of the cheaper asset classes out there, not piling into the hot trade right now. Yeah, but you know what, Ryan? Like, who cares about companies like Kansas City Southern? They can't go out and say, hey, I own Tesla or, you know, I own Apple. No one ever really talks about, hey, oh, I own the railroads. It's like, oh, congratulations, Mr. Vanderbilt. Well, you know, I guess that really what it was is what we call hot money in our business. It's when you have speculators chasing a few things that are working because it just makes so much sense. It must be good. It's going up, right? You don't see people like Warren Buffett do that, right? Warren Buffett went out and made a big bet on the Japanese market, which is selling a lot cheaper than US market. Months before, he went out and bought financial stocks like Bank of America, you know, selling a lot cheaper than Tesla, or Apple, or Amazon. So the smart investors always buying low. Now, you don't necessarily have to sell all your growth. I don't know that he did this or not, but I don't think Warren Buffett had sold all his Apple position, did he, guys? Well, Dad, you always said that Warren Buffett's favorite holding period is forever. So probably not. <laughs> yeah. So the thing is, who worries about the day-to-day? It's been interesting fodder here for our podcast. We get to talk about overvaluation. But meanwhile, there's plenty of opportunities you know, out in the marketplace. And you know, when you see something overvalued, it means probably is overvalued. Exactly right, Bob. I mean, everything is great until things like earnings matter, you know, revenue matters, all these old school fundamentals that push the market long-term. And the other thing that happens too here, guys, is we've seen this over and over again. Sadly, again, like having corporate insiders selling their stock, you're seeing money go in other places. You know, Tesla raised another $5 billion, which dilutes the other shareholders, is that retail investor always gets caught holding the bag when the music stops every single time. You know, it's like I told you guys over the years, there is legal inside information. You're allowed to trade on legal inside information. And Rye, you mentioned that corporate insiders were selling. So, you know, if they think the company's going to go double and triple or go up another 953%, do you think they would sell their stock? And then when Tesla turned around and sold more stock to the market, they're selling their equity. It's like, would you sell a part of your business if you thought it was going to double again in the next 14 trading days? I mean, Bob, I'm a charitable guy, but no, I wouldn't do that. No, of course not. So it's just common sense. 
And meanwhile, some of the froth is coming off. You know, we recommended over the last couple of podcasts that people take a little bit of that money off the table, redeploy it into places that are cheap and have the same ability to grow as much as growth has over the last year. Yeah. And I'll just mention this, just because tech is overvalued, kind of to your point, Bob, the other important underlying theme here is the economy keeps getting better. Hmm. Right? So that's a really good long runway for stocks long term. I mean, look at the jobless numbers have come down. We're at 8.4% on unemployment. That's way ahead of schedule. Most economists thought we we're going to be over 10% you know, while we're recording this still. It wasn't going to be until after October so we're going to see those kind of numbers. Yeah, but guys, look at the economist's track record. They're batting a thousand during this pandemic decline. They haven't been right about one prediction on anything. <laughs> well, I think it's time that we go start to see some fortune tellers about our stock analysis. Well, you probably have better odds, and that's exactly right. And they're still negative. You know, you can show them great numbers, like we talked about unemployment's down from where it was, way off the highs right now. You look at new home purchases, mortgages increased by 28% over last year. Factory activity is up and better in the US than elsewhere right now. Consumer demand's coming back. So it's like all the things are getting better, yet these economists, Chris, they're kind of like that relative you have that always sees the glass half empty. No matter how good things are, they always find something wrong with it. Well, you know, Ray, I think sometimes, and dad used to point this out, people think they sound smarter when they're negative. Very true, Chris. People think that they sound a lot brighter and that if you're positive, you're just Pollyannish. But here's the whole thing. I mean, a lot of this stuff is so obvious. Like tech stocks did well because we are all homebound and we started using more technology as a globe, right? As a global community, we were using more technology. We brought those earnings forward and the stock market saw that. Now what's happening? People are thinking, having second thoughts about moving back into the city and finding out they don't have to pay to commute or pay all those state taxes and income taxes. So now they're buying homes in the suburbs, right? You know, the Federal Reserve bought interest rates down to a point where this is the lowest mortgage rates have ever been in anybody's lifetime. So people are out there buying homes now, which increases the economy. So in every dark cloud, when it comes to the economy, there are silver linings. And you know, all we want you to do is benefit from it, is profit from it. Look at these common sense things that are happening and make sure that you're invested accordingly. Yeah, but I think you said it best one time. There's not a lot of rich pessimists when it comes to investing in the stock market. So I think that's the bottom line. That, Chris, and I want to circle back to what you said earlier. I'd rather own a railroad than Tesla. I think it's much cooler to say, hey, come and take a ride in my locomotive, for the record. Yeah, right. I couldn't agree more. I mean, there's nothing hotter than showing up to a summer party with your steam-powered, coal-fired locomotive. I sense your jealousy already. All right, the tipping point. We pinpoint the pain point. Of course, that's P-A-Y-N-E pain having the biggest impact on your wealth right now. And guys, you know, one of the things we do when we build a financial plan, I mean, we build thousands of those financial plans, you know, probably a year. <laughs> we do a lot of financial planning, you know, it's really about income. And, you know, really when it comes to income, there's two fundamental things that you need to have in your plan. And that's defining and diversifying your income streams when you're building that income plan. You know, Chris, in your mind, what does it mean to define your income streams. You know, that's kind of like the baseline. You know, what does that actually mean? Well, I have to talk about really where income comes from, right? And income comes from a couple different places. It comes from wages, so earned income. You know, like right now, you and dad and I are singing for our lunch. So security, <laughs> pension, rental income. So this, if you own rental income properties, you know, the monthly rents could provide a source of income. If you own things like annuities, that provides a source of income. And then even in your own portfolio, things like interest and dividends is also income. Yes, that's exactly something we tend to forget, Bob. When we build our portfolio, 
especially when we're getting close to retirement, you want to build it for income. People are always focused on growth, 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 but income is really the cornerstone to building a portfolio that's successful for retirement. Yeah, but overriding all of that, guys, is that it's really about how you handle your capital, right? We're talking about two types of capital here. You know, your human capital, which is using your unique ability to whatever it is you do for a living to generate wages, right? So if you generate wages, generate income, profits from your business, it's all sweat equity, and that's your human capital. What's really important, and I think what Chris is really focused on, especially with his meetings he's in, is working with your investment capital. So it comes down to two things in life. Do you want to work for your wealth? Well, we want to work to create our wealth, but don't you want your wealth working for you? And in order for that to happen, you've got to be invested at all times in, in things that generate income and generate capital gain. But the income is really the focus. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And I'm a lazy man, Bob. So I believe in passive income, which always blows my mind because you'll have questions from clients, potential clients asking us like, oh, you know, I'm going to buy a couple of rental properties when I retire and I'm just going to live off that income. And the first thing I think about, and I think we've talked about this on a recent episode is, oh my God, that's sweat equity. You know, you get called at two in the morning when the refrigerator breaks. That's not my idea of a great retirement income stream. Yeah, right. I agree with you 100%. You always say that you want to have investments that don't talk back to you. And I think certainly owning a rental property is an investment that talks back to you, especially at three o'clock in the morning. But real estate's a great diversifier. That's really the thing. It's like you don't want to be able to identify where every penny of your income is coming from. You shouldn't be able to name every single investment you have. You need to be more widely diversified because you know things can go wrong in a free market economy. That's the other thing when it comes to the income that you have coming in is you don't want to be dependent on just one or two sources. Like I literally reviewed a portfolio the other week and this investor had like over a million dollars in one energy stock. <laughs> and clearly it hasn't done well. Now, luckily they haven't cut their dividend yet, but you're at the risk if you have too much money coming from one source, that can be a real problem for you. I mean, that can completely derail or ruin your entire retirement. Well, see, that's it. That's where your ego gets involved. It's like, I need to keep owning that stock because my dad gave it to me or my mom left it to me in her will or I bought that stock. You know, it's just not about winning and losing, right? It's about achieving a lifetime of income you can't outlive so you can live your life and achieve your personal goals. Yeah, that's true, Dad. And, you know, Ryan made a really good point about his client who only had that one stock. And you know, the one thing I found really astounding was that when the market was down like 35% back in March, I looked at all my clients' income streams, their interest in their dividends, and it really didn't change that much. So I think the big thing to focus on there is that even when the market's down, you're still getting that cash flow coming into your portfolio. Yeah. And it's like the biggest part of your return long term. You know, they have these shows on places like CNBC about fast money and how you can profit in the market. And we're talking about all the speculation going on in growth stocks. But we know the secret to investing has nothing to do with the stock market going up. It's the fact that you own investments, they pay income. If you don't spend the income, it gets reinvested to buy more shares of your portfolio. And the beautiful thing is those income streams go up over time. Because the other problem you're going to have, especially if you're trying to live off your portfolio, guys, things are going to cost a lot more in the future and you need to account for that. That's true, right? It's like the one risk that everyone has. I don't care how much money you have. It's the hidden insidious tax called inflation. And it's that compounding against you is why you have to be an investor and you can't sit in a passbook account or in a money market fund getting one basis point of return. I would say, Dad, that sitting in cash is probably the most dangerous thing that you could do in your portfolio just as a result of that insidious tax. 
Well, it's like death by a thousand cuts. You know, you think you're playing it so safe because my money's in cash. It's not moving right now, but you're guaranteeing, right? If every 20 years your purchasing power is cut in half, so every $500,000 you have today is worth 250000 in 20 years, you're guaranteed to lose 50% of your money over the next 20 years by doing nothing. Because Bob, as you like to say, no decision is a decision. <laughs> which you've basically told me about my personal life, but that's another story altogether. <laughs> now, now, let's not go there. <laughs> let's not go there. Again, it's so obvious. Diversification is the key. You don't want to overweight any one specific investment. I've seen it happen more times in my career than I'd like. When someone has an investment where they're dependent on it for income and they're like, Bob, every night I hope and pray they don't cut their dividend, whether it was a utility stock back in the 70s or whether it's an oil stock now in this day and age, hope and prayer is not an investment strategy. Write that down, Chris, because that's basically how I've been investing my money for years. So I don't know. Man, right. I didn't realize you were so spiritual. Well, Chris, you know, spirituality aside, which that could be a whole other podcast, Bob, you and I know from experience that you only need to touch the electric fence so many times before you realize that you need to have a portfolio, you know, go back to what we said before, that's based on your goals and based on a diversified income stream. Now, you guys don't realize this, but I have that scar tissue in my stomach lining and gray hair, not because what I had to put up with raising the two of you and your sister had to do with my early speculations, which didn't work out so well. What I learned early on, and fortunately for our clients, it's that stable, predictable income, which is the key to a successful investment strategy when it comes to your retirement plan. That's what you got to focus on. That's what matters. Sustainable, repeatable, dependable income. If you're interested in learning more about an income plan, well, Bob and Chris and I have spent a collective 45 years involved in financial planning and investing. Everything we teach you here on this podcast can be mixed with some due diligence of your own to get ahead financially speaking at any stage of your journey. But if you have over $500,000 and you want a more hands-on approach or guidance, you can apply for a free financial review. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan. That's www.paincm.com slash financial plan or click the link below. We can put together a full audit of your investments, the fees you're paying, tax optimization, and a complete savings and income plan to ensure you're on track to achieve your path to financial independence. Simply go to www.paincm.com slash financial plan for your free financial review. All right, the hidden facts of finance, random financial facts that may surprise you or even shock you. All right, Bob, the latest reading from the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now model showed that the available economic indicators are tracking a Q3 growth rate of 29.6%. Woo, man, that's a heck of a rebound. You know, I bet all those economists that we read about every day in the journal are going to have to raise their estimates once again. Well, it gets even crazier because Q4 should be another 5% on top of that. So we're probably going to see a huge, huge rally here in the economy over the next couple of months. Pretty awesome. From your lips to God's ears, sir. <laughs> Chris, the current fiscal year's deficit is projected to a total record of $3.3 trillion, yet interest outlays are projected to decline from $338 billion for fiscal year 2020 to $290 billion in fiscal year 2021 and $273 billion in fiscal year 2022, and you keep going even further, and $271 billion in fiscal 2023. So the debt's going up, but the interest payments are going down. Not a bad deal for the government. No. And you know, Ryan, a lot of people, a lot of my clients particularly talk to me about how stupid the government is, but it seems pretty smart that they're actually going out and refinancing their debt just like the rest of us. 
No, good point, Chris. Just like homeowners are shoring up lower mortgage rates, the government's doing the same thing. Okay, Bob, can you spot a fraud? Mutual funds run by DWS Group, Artesian Partners, and Grandeur Peak Global Advisors continue to own Wirecard shares almost up until the company filed for insolvency proceedings this June. And remember, Wirecard was that German payment processor where the COO and the CEO are now indicted for fraud. Well, obviously, they can't. They own a stock that was insolvent. I mean, I thought that's the whole idea of hiring a mutual fund manager. They did their due diligence and weeded out their losers and let their winners run. But, you know, I guess it's no different than anybody else. That's why we don't spec individual stocks, right? Doesn't look like there's any masters of the universe when it comes to picking bad ideas. All right, Chris, according to the Social Security Administration report, claiming right away at age 61 is optimal for men who assume investment returns of 3.8% or higher after inflation or women who assume 4.6% or higher. So what's the best option? Well, Ry, as a great representative of Social Security once said, how lucky do you feel? Because if you wait to take your money, the average life expectancy for us guys is age 80. So if you think about all those years that you were putting money into social security, if you wait till age 80, a lot of times it could take almost 13 years to break even. So I agree with that strategy. The only thing is caveat emptor there is at 62, you have to be under a certain income threshold, but a lot of times taken earlier, Chris can be better. So I'm with you. So Bob, I just found Chris's new standard 60-40 allocation. He told me 60% in Tesla and 40% in Bitcoin. That's probably the best diversified portfolio I've ever heard of. Well, see that, Rye? You're not in the know because the other day he went to the Tesla dealer and tried to buy a Tesla with his Bitcoin and they didn't let him. So he liquidated both. Well, the funny thing is that I actually started out with 60% Bitcoin. It just ended at 40%. Oof, that's bad. That's really bad. All right. The US represents 70% of the MSCI World Index, but only a quarter of GDP. China is next at 16%, but makes up less than 1% of the World Index. A little bit of home country bias here. Yeah, I'd say so, Brian. I'd also say that, you know, if you think about it, most of the opportunity I think in the future is going to be overseas, you know, with populations growing so quickly and a lot of the productivity coming from those places. Bob says there's nothing better than the good old USA. I couldn't agree more, but, you know, I'm not going to bet all my money on that. And Bob, from the start of the year until August 19th, the S&P 500 rose 6%, while the NASDAQ 100 at a 30%. That's much better than the average equity hedge fund, according to Goldman Sachs, which returned only 2% over the same time period. Well, right. That's why hedge funds always tell you, we have really great odds. We win two out of three times. The salesman made money, the hedge fund made money, and a client didn't do so good. Two to three, what are you complaining about? Well, the other hard thing is we can't get inside information anymore, which is illegal. <laughs> it makes it much harder to get those returns like they did before 2008. Just said. All right, gentlemen, another great show today. As always, stay loose and keep an open mind. Thanks for listening to The Pain Points of Wealth. Hopefully, you found the ideas discussed in this episode valuable and useful for your own financial journey. You can find out more about Bob, Brian, and Chris's firm, Payne Capital Management, at BeBullish.com or through the contact information found in the description of this episode in your podcast player or app. Join us next week for another episode of The Pain Points of Wealth, brought to you by Payne Capital Management. Information provided on today's show is provided for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed.